Welcome back, creeps. Hey, y'all. How's everybody doing this week? Or how is everybody? I keep forgetting that it comes out on Monday now. Yep. The Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a case of the Mondays? The Mondays. <laughs> well, hopefully you don't have the ca a case of the Mondays. Or a case of anything else, for or that matter. If, <laughs> well, if it is a case of the Monday, I hope that's a good thing. Yeah, hopefully you. you are excited for the week or something. I don't fucking know. Anyway, do you have a tarot card for us this week? I do. Read it to me. Okay, so today we have the lovers but reversed. Okay. So today's message is, when making choices today, take a long-term heart-centered perspective. Put the feelings and well-being of yourself and your loved ones first. A choice made purely from logic that goes against what feels good or right is not the right choice today. So that means follow your heart today, guys. That's weird. I thought logic always won. Not today. You have to put your feelings first and the ones of your loved ones. Right on. Indeed. Okay. How nice. Um, how was your week? Uh, it was good. I streamed more often this week than usual. I'm thinking about changing my Twitch name to something like Pink Salsa or something. I don't know. Okay. I think that's cute. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's a thing that you can do. You can just change your name. Uh -huh. and people will still find you. Uh, yeah. But once, once I make the decision, you'll be the first to know. Okay. So as of right now, though, because this might confuse people, it's just Late Bloomer no, 34. No, yeah, it's still Late Bloomer okay. 34, yeah. <laughs> so if you are wanting to watch Dulce's streams, Late Bloomer 34 or Dulce's Recreations on YouTube. YouTube. And there's a buttload of videos on there right now, right? I've been consistent with the video uploads. Every Friday. Every Friday. Thank you very much. Saw just uh just Justin. Saw Justin there. He commented on one of them. Um We love Justin. We love Justin. And I was thinking about him. Um, because we I we haven't heard from him in a while. You haven't heard from anyone in a while, but we also didn't have our Instagram really active. That's true. So people are probably like, well, I'm not going to bother messaging. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have Instagram on my phone again. So, yeah, do reach out to us. We also got some nice emails recently as well uh, with some cool suggestions for possible future subjects. We always oh, appreciate that. Nice. And yeah, as a point, like going forward, if you do have any suggestions or like a topic that you have heard before, but you're like, no, I want to hear these guys doing it messages or email us yeah. or whatever like yeah because one of the things i guess i never considered is um i know like our less known topics don't get as many views but i guess it never occurred to me and now i, I guess it makes sense is uh people probably do want to see even like hear things that they've heard before but through us for the pure reason of they just prefer your voice yeah, or like just our take or our, I don't know. Our commentary. Our opinion, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it never occurred to me. It makes sense now that I think about it because I have gone through, uh, like when I was getting into podcasts in the beginning, I there were some podcasts that I really enjoyed the content of, but I just couldn't get past the, the voice. People. Yeah, and I or, get that as well. Like, Yeah, and, it, and that just means it's not for me. I didn't leave like a hateful comment or anything like that. Yeah. It's just, I mean, that's the beauty of having so many options you just get to find something that's for you yeah because i have also been looking for a new podcast because for me it's i'm not like i have stopped listening to podcasts that deal with this material for the most part yeah because i don't want to just copy everybody else mm -hmm. i mean we maybe we do anyway but i try it's unintentional yeah it's unintentional we're covering the same topic, so I'm not going to listen to somebody else cover something that I've just read, like, two books on. <laughs> yeah, because you know I mean? even if you weren't trying to, like, I feel like it might creep in there. Yeah, because I know for a fact that last podcast on the left has had a severe impact on my brain. So now sometimes I just think in their voices, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, stuff like that. Anyway, we're getting off topic already we haven't even started yet. get better but soon marcus i know you're not hearing this but we oh love yeah you. marcus park from last podcast on the left is very not feeling sick. well yeah so very sick hopefully because that that man is, he's a machine yeah he is my inspiration when it comes to my inspiration now what's the word i'm looking for 
here's what I would aspire to be like your role model of, yeah well that's a train he is <laughs> your role model I would love to have his level of dedication work ethic and like just research prowess yeah capability for that much research it sounds like there's two trains fighting each other I feel in like the kitchen. <laughs> I feel like the, I think whoever's driving this train is probably like now I've had way too many car accidents. I just want to yeah, make yeah. sure I'm not in another one because the liability, the papers, and the lawyers is just too much. Either that, or he just sees his friend Dave. He's like Dave, Dave, <laughs> pull the horn, yeah, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to it. We left off last week with a corset wearing cop lighting a cigarette and stepping into the Gooden household to see what had spooked his normally stoic neighbors. Corset wearing, you said? Yes. All right. Well, okay, he was just wearing pajamas, but the author left it like open oh. to perception. <laughs> remember? So he said, "Use your imagination." So yeah. your imagination is corset wearing. Because he said he actually sorry he said night clothes. Uh huh. If it had been pajamas, yeah, I probably would have pictured like. Yeah, night pinstripes clothes, and the nightcap. Night clothes is a bigger umbrella. Yeah, so we're going corset, thong, and stockings. Let's just say he's a drag queen by night. Yeah, Sergeant Spanks was the name I came up for. But anyway, John <laughs> Holstead. <laughs> John Holstead was his actual name. He was a policeman that lived either across the road or just very nearby, and his daughter had happened to be walking the dog. Yeah. Past the Gooden house mm-hmm. when all this mess was going on and Jerry called out. He's like, hey, get your dad. <laughs> and so she did. So it was Sunday, the 24th of November, 1974. It looked like the house had been completely ransacked. The kitchen table and chairs had been flipped again. Remnants of dishes on the carpet, utensils strewn about the floor and a radio thrown from its place on the shelf. In the bedroom, the dresser had been tipped over onto the floor and pretty much all the pictures and knickknacks had been thrown Hither and tither. (laughs) As John tried to take in the scene, Jerry suddenly called him. The TV in the living room was dragged out of place right in front of them. John just shifted it back and as he was walking away, it moved right into the exact same position. Just about 35 degrees off center. Just enough to give the impression that something was doing this very purposefully. Then... The recliners, there was three recliners in the sitting room. One for like mama bear, baby bear and papa bear. But all of a sudden they just started opening and slamming closed completely on their own. Then the fridge started gliding effortlessly across the carpet as though it was floating completely silently. Yeah. It moved like this until it was about two feet from John when it suddenly lurched forward and hit him on the elbow. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. At this point he called for backup. It was a white fridge. so They didn't shoot. Oh, <laughs> social commentary. Yeah. No, but it, like, I don't think it injured him. I think it just like went. Whoop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just enough to be like, see what I did? See, I just imagined the door swinging open and just tapping him. Yeah. Like it very controlled, right? Yeah. Backup arrived after getting the call for an unknown disturbance at 966 Lindley and just assumed it was a burglary. I think maybe John had gone back home to get dressed or something because he didn't debrief them or anything. And they were busy trying to make sense of everything in the master bedroom. One officer named Officer Tomek, he picked up a fallen TV and righted it on the floor, but it flipped over again. So he just picked it up and placed it on the dresser where it had been initially. The TV then floats up in the air right in front of everybody and just hangs there in midair long enough for the cops to like reach out and feel around it yeah to see like where the string was which obviously he didn't find and it then just started to swing back and forth like a pendulum right in front of them before it was placed gently back on the dresser just slightly askew wowzers so again every time something like this happens it's always put back where it was yeah just slightly twisted the other way Hmm. It's like a fucking calling card or something. It's like saying like, see, I did that. Yeah, I guess you're right. Mm-hmm. My next note just says the crucifix. <laughs> That's it. That's, <laughs> I obviously started writing something I forgot about. Okay, perfect. More... I, feel, I feel like at this point, you're. it's when you remembered that you wanted to Google something. Yeah. So you picked up your phone and Googled Probably, something, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. that was. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I wanted to buy that 
that keychain or that hook. You know how you like hooks. I do. I love hooks. You love a good hook. You're like, oh, I wanted to buy that hook off of Amazon. So you picked up your phone. Your phone I have and hooks ordered. on my car headrest in the trunk of my car. What are those I things have called? They're carabiners. Like, that's what it is. Carabiners. On my bag to hook onto the hooks in my car. He loves a hook. I like taking corners at 45 miles an hour and nothing moving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that why? Yeah. Oh. So it's like I can like slam hard into corners and nothing goes anywhere. Slam hard. Yeah. That's what he said. Anyway, more backup arrived. And Officer Tomek, who is still skeptical at this point, I don't know how, he's bringing the two new guys up to speed in the kitchen when one of them starts waving and pointing behind him. He turns and sees the fridge land on the ground silently again. But according to the other policeman, it just floated about six inches off the ground while he was talking. And then, like, as if to be like, ooh, look at me. And then as soon as he turns around, just hits the floor. <laughs> like, again, slightly askew. They check the basement to see, like, you know, maybe they have, I don't know, industrial magnets or something. They couldn't find anything. At this point, Officer Tomek noted that while Laura was completely frantic and upset, Jerry was going between anger and fear. But little Marsha was just sitting on her recliner watching cartoons, seemingly totally unfazed. Probably used to it by now. A little bit, yeah. So unsure of what else to do, Tomek called the fire brigade to come out and check out the house for like structural issues. There was construction, like big construction sites in the area, but like not within walking distance and stuff. So they were just like trying to think of anything. And an ambulance was also called because... Laura's foot was still messed up. Like if you don't remember, the TV was it fell on it. Yeah, basically thrown purposefully onto her foot, causing her toes to like burst. Oh shit! Yeah, pretty much. Like that. I mean, it was just pure pressure on her feet. Anyway, he was still. Tomek was still trying to assess the situation and see whether it was like a cry for help or someone suffering from some sort of breakdown or something. Just something logical and black and white. Yeah. In other words. Right, right. When he was done with the calls, they went to investigate a noise from Marcia's room. Marcia. I need to be conscious of that because it specifically says Marcia, not Marcia. Yeah, Adam. I'm doing my best. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Her bureau had been thrown over again. As the four policemen stood in the cramped hallway, the crucifix on the wall started to pendulum side to side before ripping itself off the wall and hitting one of them, Leroy Lawson, right in the chest. That was enough for Leroy. He left the house and headed for his patrol car where he promptly locked himself inside. Wow. Yeah, he was like, fuck it, I'm out. When the firemen arrived, they witnessed more madness and had no idea what to make of it at all. Eventually, the chief called Father Doyle, the local priest, and explained what was happening and asked for his assistance. So let's just take a moment here to picture the scene. Okay. Imagine you're a fly on the wall in this fairly tiny home. Not a tiny home, but not a very big regular home. Right. Yeah, I saw the picture. I'd say it's pre- it's like half a duplex. Like yeah. a standalone apartment, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's more cops in there now. There's a bunch of firemen who arrived in a fire truck, I'm pretty sure. And at least two of Jerry's friends, his brother and his wife have shown up. And at this stage, Marsha's recliner had started freaking out with her in it. So she's run to Jerry, who is at his wit's end in the kitchen. Like He's literally in tears. And Laura is just wailing in desperation and terror. And now not only have people started to gather outside because of all the cop cars and fire engines, but random strangers are just walking in off the street to see what's going on and give advice and just to be nosy. Like walking into the house? Straight in. No no knocking. Wow. Straight in. No kissing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to outsiders in this fucking case. At last, the priest shows up and does what any priest would do, tries to bless the house. He whips out his bits, rosary beads, holy water, (laughs) etc. Gets set up in one of the recliners and as he goes to reach for his holy water, it just tips over on the table. He picks it up and tries the same maneuver again. Again, it tips over before his hand gets anywhere near it. So he puts his bits away and just says a quick prayer instead, not wanting to make the situation worse for anyone. While all of this is going on, Marcia is down in the basement with some of the cops and her cat, Sam. Suddenly, one of the cops starts saying that he heard the cat speak. That he clearly said, bye bye. Whoa. Yeah, in my head, the cat sounds like Markiplier. (laughs) (laughs) 
He does have a video where he put his he, he edited his mouth over cat pictures. Really? He's just talking. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so anyway, this police officer is convinced that he has heard the cat the cat Sam say bye bye. Another officer down. He left the house and had a full-on argument with his superior saying that he would rather resign than go back in that house again. But what do we remember from last week's episode? Marcia had a really good skill or talent maybe at giving inanimate objects the appearance of being able to talk. Mm. Remember all of her teddy bears? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ventriloquist skills. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was quite that level, but either way, this cop was convinced we also know that the cops thought it would be pretty funny to play a prank on another one of their buddies. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So after this had happened, they sent this other guy over to Marcia who had Sam over her shoulder at this point. I think they were standing in the kitchen. And with a hand over his badge, he asks her, does your cat know my name? And she said, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and she said, no, but Sam says that your brother's name is Frank. The officers had obviously told her this yeah. before this cop came over. I was paraphrasing there, but it was actually a nice moment of levity. And Marcia seemed to be really enjoying just being in the middle of everything, having all this attention. Mm -hmm. The cops were being really nice to yeah. her, like which was, again, a really kind of warm part of this story. Unfortunately, the cat talking bit seems to be one of the most striking things about this whole case from what I've seen. And while I'm pretty sure we can discount it as just Marcia having some fun, apparently Jerry had said something about this to some friends like a month before all of this had kicked off. The cat had been taken to the vet for an operation in the October sometime. And when he came back, Jerry swore that he had heard him and that he, quote, sang and talked like a sailor. Hmm. Yeah. Talk like a sailor. Yeah. So at first he thought it was Marcia messing with him because I guess the cat just hung out in the basement, same as Max hangs out in the garage here. Yeah. Probably likes that, the heat. Yeah. Like that's his lair. And yeah, you're probably right. Like the heater and stuff is probably down there. At first, Jerry thought it was just Marcia messing with him, but he would hear the voices coming from the basement when it was just Sam down there on his own. Wowzers. Three separate voices, too. Oh, shit. Yeah. And according to Jerry, when Sam wanted to be let out of the basement, he would paw at the door and say things like, let me out, you dirty Frenchman. What? <laughs> Actually, wait, it's Markiplier voice. So, uh, <laughs> let me out, you dirty Frenchman. That's a good one. Or let me out, you dirty Greek. Wow. Yeah. Sam's an asshole. Sam or whoever is talking through Sam is an asshole. I don't think Markiplier feels that <laughs> way. Maybe I should have picked another voice for Sam. Anyway, another visitor to throw into the mix was a neighbor by the name of Mary Pascarella. Okay. Who was a part-time school library worker who just happened to be a member of the Psychic Research Center in New Haven, Connecticut. I think this lady thought all of her Christmases had come at once because <laughs> she came in with all of her absolute solid knowledge of the subject and whisked Marcia into the master bedroom to test her psychic powers. Interesting. Yeah. So basically, with all that was going on, I'm not sure if Laura was even in the house anymore because the ambulance was called. Basically, she whisked Marcy away. I don't think people even noticed, you know? That she was gone? Yeah, like she was just in the master bedroom. Oh, okay. But like the fact that there were so many people coming and going, I don't I know if anybody really knew what was happening. That's alarming. Yeah. And like they probably knew, oh, it's just Mary Pascarella, whatever. So she sat Marcia down and showed her a bottle of rubbing alcohol that was on the bureau and told her to lift it up in the air with mind bullets. She was trying to force it out of her, right? Like she uh -huh. was literally like, do it. No, do the thing that you're doing outside because yeah. it's you, remember? Okay. And I can't imagine that she was very nice about it because Marcia actually ended up losing her temper and throwing the bottle on the floor with her hands, not her with telekinesis. Her mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, it wasn't even lunchtime, by the way. Okay. Like, we have... This was all just Sunday morning. Ed and Lorraine Warren, right? Okay. Your one, Mary Pascarella, had the Warrens' number and called them to let them know what was going on. And so Ed drove over to the house to interview everyone while Lorraine stayed back to wait for her two priest friends who were due to, for lunch that day. Okay. 
they had another like case ongoing at the time so ed was like listen love are you sure this is the real deal because i'm not fucking wasting my time coming over there that's what i'm saying like all her christmases came at once she was the one who got to break the news to the warrens like yeah but fun fact their house was actually only 16 minutes away door to door so it showed up on the doorstep like lorraine showed up a little while later with father charbonneau okay and paul eno who was actually just training to become a priest and ed instructed him to not let marcia out of his sight while he was there because i have said this in the past say whatever about the warrens they were they needed to cover their their tracks to make sure that these things weren't hoaxes right like out in the open so that's what paul eno was tasked with looking after marcia and he was like a really nice young dude he would like play games there and stuff okay but it's still just Sunday afternoon right now. Everyone is still trying to rule out whether it was just her playing games as she was openly loving having everyone at the house. And yet still the the activity carried on even when she wasn't in the room. But they still just had to be sure. So everyone gathered in the living room and kitchen because that's the only place in the house that you really could gather. And Marcy was sitting in one of the recliners talking to some of the police officers when suddenly everyone went dead silent. The chair Marcia was sitting in suddenly lifted off the ground and did a complete somersault in midair, throwing her out of it, obviously, because she wasn't stuck to the fucking thing. Mm -hmm. And she actually hit her head right before the chair came down behind her, smashing into an end table. Now, like I said in the last episode, this was the 70s. It took two policemen to pick this chair up and set it back to where it was. Wow. Because I guess all the mechanism from the recliner made it even heavier than a normal chair. Yeah. She had just floated in it, like, and fallen out and hurt herself quite badly, I think. The madness never really let up for long. Standalone ashtrays spontaneously smashed, light bulbs popped in their fixtures, the kitchen table and chairs kept flipping over, and Ed Warren supposedly found a bunch of knives just spinning around on the floor. Wall-mounted rosary beads moved of their own accord, and the wretched banging had come back again. At one point, someone decided to make fresh coffee and set everything up on the kitchen table. Why they did this is beyond me, because obviously the kitchen table flipped over (laughs) and sent everything flying. Fresh hot coffee, sugar, creamer, cups, the works. Yeah. Like, it was a stupid idea. Like, and even as, like, because I can't remember who made it. It might have been Marcia's tutor or something like that. Mm -hmm. Tutor? Tutor? I don't know. The lady who taught Marcia. Yeah. <laughs> he literally said, oh, thanks so much for making that. Everybody get this before it gets thrown all over the place. Oh, and then it got thrown all over the place. Oh, my God. As one who hates wasting food. As one who hates wasting coffee. <laughs> it's a crime. Anyway, finally, things started to quiet down a bit. It was around two in the afternoon and the cops thought they'd best like start to head out. Their supervisor was like blowing a fuse because he was like why is half my force at this house and nothing is even like no crime is being committed there they had had plumbing and electrical inspectors and all out to the house like to check every possible logical theory that could have been going on and then as those two guys were leaving the cop pulled them aside it's like you didn't see anything here all right (laughs) (laughs) and the two guys were like what the crowd outside the house right was said to be two thousand people strong at this point wow you think they were being hyperbolic or do you think they were being literal no i think this was literal like people were selling snacks and drinks out of shopping carts going along the street and something that i didn't actually uh write in here but a group of like college age people had wheeled a child's coffin out and just (laughs) put it next to the house and like obviously yeah that's grim i don't know what their thought process was but like jerry and laura had buried their son only the year previous like yeah in those little white coffins that people always use the fuck so already the people were just like nuts and most people including some of the police that were standing on guard around the house claimed to have seen the two decorative swans on the front porch move and speak in a low guttural voice whoa yeah now some people said we definitely heard a guttural voice coming from the direction of the house yeah other people were like, it's the swans, it's the swans. But that, among with the talking cat, became like the thing about the house. Like, yeah. Ed Warren's advice 
to the family before he left was if stuff starts happening in one room go to a different room <laughs> all right again the house really only had like two yeah <laughs> rooms that you could be in now the warrens and their friends returned to the house later that night and stayed late into the night observing more of pretty much the same activity and the following morning monday jerry went to work at 6 a.m as usual but got nothing but hassle from his co-workers people making fun of him and asking dumb questions and eventually he left when laura called him and asked him to come home around 1 30 now already he's operating on very little sleep everybody at work has just turned on him and like yeah it's probably you know light-hearted enough jokes but this is how it's going right so 1.30 arrives and he gets a call from Laura to come back home. The Warren's friend, Paul, who was the trainee priest and was the one who was kind of on babysitting duty, he had gone to the corner store to get some sweets for everyone, which then led to rumors of Ed Warren trying to secretly drug them all in order to perform some sort of satanic rituals. The fuck? Yeah, so Paul was accused of giving Marcia um, LSD-laced cough drops basically what like hard hell? sucking candies yeah and that's just one of the many rumors that came out of this yeah story. remember there's like still thousands of people just gathered outside the house watching everything speculating yeah paul was playing monopoly with marcia that afternoon when suddenly a yellowish mist started to appear in the living room before their very eyes it gradually got bigger and they could make out shapes which eventually separated into the shape of four beings I'm going to read from the book here because this is one of those instances where I I can't paraphrase this. All of a sudden, Jerry began a Gregorian chant. He proceeded to say mass in Latin. Although he had been an altar boy and had sung in the choir, it had been 40 years since he had performed anything like that in Latin. And as an altar boy, he never recited the entire mass, just the responses. Witnessing him say the whole mass verbatim was very puzzling to Paul and Laura, who watched in confusion. He chanted the Mass of the Dead, which is offered when adults die, and the Mass of the Angels, which is offered when a child dies. He was even offering the responses to the prayers in Latin. He picked up his nearby jar of holy water. It was literally a coffee jar full of holy water. His voice changed to baritone, clearly not his own as he walked back and forth shaking holy water from his hands throughout the room the four misty figures began to move about as if in an organized pack and followed jerry from room to room at the same time paul started praying from his prayer book jerry felt the pressure in his upper arms and in his hands laura sat in the recliner crying which is what she did for most of this whole ordeal she was frightened at his actions and puzzled by his latin and the change in the tone of his voice she could only hear her husband and the rain from outside as it hit the window. He was behaving in ways she had never experienced before. She sensed his rage as he walked about, knocking into furniture and clearly unaware of his own movements. Marcia was crying and clung in terror to Paul's waist the whole time. Paul observed that the entities appeared to be parasites that fed and grew on negative energy. They seemed to be moving intelligently, as if grouping their movements to react to Jerry's, Paul's own rage got stronger as the four misty figures approached him and Marcia. Paul positioned Marcia behind him to protect her. He felt the entity's rage getting stronger, larger, and more well-defined as his own anger grew. Paul instinctively moved to block one of the entities from passing around him on his left and was shocked to feel it push back against his shoulder, apparently quite intentionally. That's when Paul felt physical characteristics. It had substance. He felt a bony structure. His best analogy was, quote, bird-like. It was a bird-like, bony structure, an actual three-dimensional being. He sensed there were four individual, quote, personalities, for lack of a better way of describing them. The physical aspect that he detected did not fit with the, poltergeist, with the poltergeist concept. Neither did it fit well with his knowledge of demons, spirits, or psychokinesis. The entity successfully navigating around Paul as the other three stayed together behind that one picked up Marcia in one quick motion and threw her across the room. A terrified Marcia scrambled to her feet and ran back to Paul in tears. 
The entities then combined to form one large cloud that continued to grow and fill the whole house. Being quite sure the negative energy was feeding it, Paul ordered everyone outside the house where they stood on the lawn in the cold rain. The crowd was stirred up, wondering what, or who, chased them out of the home. Finally, the Warrens came back to the house with Father Charbonneau because they had kind of just left Paul to be like, all right, yeah, you, you handle things. And then this shit happens. Yeah. That evening, shortly after nine o'clock, they all got back. And as the priest was blessing the house again, he had, you know, this is Father Charbonneau, not Father Doyle. This guy proceeded to bless the house regardless of all the activity. And when he was doing it again this night, he thought he saw an odd shadow on the basement wall, only to realize it was an actual shadow figure standing like away from the wall, which then distorted itself into a tall, oddly shaped thing, which the priest said looked like a black cardboard cutout. Like that's the density of it, like in the already dark room. I actually thought that was a pretty good like description. Yeah, because when we've seen like videos of those shadow figures and stuff, that's it's the perfect description, honestly. A little while later, after some more activity in the living room, it, it was all like the same consistent stuff. TVs being thrown over, radios broken. Anything that was on the wall was ripped off the wall. But anyway, Marcia got up and walked to the kitchen when she was suddenly dragged backwards through the air, hitting her arm on the fridge before slamming into the wall. Oof. She escaped this time with just a bump on her head. But she was trembling with fear. Whatever this thing was, it clearly seemed to have it in for her. And supposedly the cat was heard calling for help when this happened. Just FYI. (laughs) Help! Marcia finally spoke up though and said that she didn't want to be in the house anymore. But for some reason, the thought of leaving, even just for one night, seemed to not even be on like the Gooden's radar. I don't know whether it was a pride thing or just like they were so desperate they just weren't thinking properly at all it's probably likely that that's it they both still denied the existence of ghosts too whoa yeah like paraphrasing this now but at one point jerry's like now i ain't no scientist and i ain't no psychologist i'm just a plain old working man but he was still like no this ain't no ghost i don't know what it is but it ain't no ghost (laughs) Okay, but why don't you yeah, think it's you know a ghost? I mean? like, what do you think a ghost is? Yeah. The activity carried on, and as tired and desperate as everyone inside the house was, the crowds outside still continued to grow, and the police were still on crowd control duty to, to stop random people just walking in off the street. Even though a few still got past them, and other people were by now throwing garlic at the house, running up and banging on the windows, like, just being the worst they literally had like paddy wagons parked outside the house cops on all the doors barricades put up like a concert like by tuesday though the tables had turned completely quote there are no ghosts in bridgeport said sergeant walsh of the bridgeport police as he declared the case closed after it was proved to be a hoax what what do you mean what happened He would later add to his statement to say that if the Warrens showed up in Bridgeport again, he would have them arrested. Marcia had been caught trying to help the activity along a couple of times already. And even though some of the stuff that had gone on was completely 100% 100 unexplainable, she had been caught by Officer Tomek, who was already suspicious of the whole situation. Remember, he was one of the first backup police there. He had seen a TV floating in midair. But he was still sceptical. As soon as he started asking Marcia, a little girl, remember, mm-hmm. had she caused all of this kerfuffle, she broke down in tears and admitted to the whole thing. But she probably meant, like, and not exactly physically. Well, he caught her actively trying to kick the TV to oh, make it move. Oh, I see. And she had been caught forcing her recliner to like pop out and then pretend to look shocked afterwards this kind of like enfield yeah so there was a a handful of times when she had been openly caught and she just kind of sheepishly grinned and was like oh okay shit but it was also i'm pretty sure like one o'clock in the morning by the time officer tomek started like questioning her you know on all this so 
a little girl is probably not the hardest witness to turn. <laughs> right. And I to coerce. I kind of get the feeling that she couldn't have lifted that fridge. They say the fridge was 300 pounds. You see what I'm saying? But again, Officer Tomek had had literally seen with his own eyes a TV float pendulum and then land back carefully on the fucking dresser. See, and that doesn't seem to me as a thing that a a little girl could do. Yeah. So she just broke down in tears. She admitted the whole thing. Even Lorraine Warren's burn. Lorraine had been sitting in the house, I'm pretty sure just the day previous, when she suddenly felt felt a burning sensation on her wrist, which quickly turned into a blister. Now, in front of people like this, they saw it turn into a blister. But Marcia said that she had actually just held her hand under some hot water. So, you know, there you go. There's your answer. I mean, it must have been really hot water. Yeah. But either way, the case was closed and the public were told it was all just a big hoax caused by a little girl who needed psychiatric help, which she would soon be getting. Jerry's public response was, quote, She looked as if she were under drugs until she snapped out of it. We were as completely fooled as everybody else was. Her mind was controlled. She never acted like this before. Somebody else controlled her mind for her. Him and Laura had just accepted this too and they thanked the police officers for all their help and said that they would get Marcia examined as soon as they could. And so that's the end of the story and the family lives happily ever after. You're lying? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So the police left the Gooden house at around 5.30 on Tuesday morning after getting this confession, right? I'm not sure if anyone got any sleep but they did get an appointment with a Dr. Keir at a local hospital. I can't remember the name of. I should have taken it down. Uh, he was a psychologist. So Marcia was to be evaluated later that day. The crowd at this point was so bad that when the family left the house, they had to sneak out through the back door while a news team left the front, the front door to distract people. And still someone managed to rip Marcia's coat pocket off as nice. a souvenir. Yeah, that's. That's disgusting. Yeah. The reason the TV crew had been allowed access to the house was because Jerry recognized them from TV. He's like, oh, they're the good guys. They're the good guys. Come on in. So even with all that was going on, they still had time to be like, oh, my God, that's Chip Gorman from TV. (laughs) But the news crews that did enter the house ended up taking pity on the family. Like, they saw the devastation from what I've read because uh, another like local radio guy came into the house and as soon as he got there he was like okay no this is no joke like this this family actually need help so they genuinely helped rather than like just trying to get the latest scoop and and extort them from what i've seen anyway so they got to the appointment anyway even though more news crews were actually tailing them jerry was trying to like lose them on route and stuff like that and they made it they followed him to the hospital obviously the doctor gave marcia the all clear She was a healthy little girl. But when they got home, the police presence had been reduced due to it being a closed case. So now the crowd was literally surrounding the house, like no regard for privacy anymore. They were on the lawn, up at the windows. Jerry had to park the car at the door so he could just open the door and get inside. Wow. They managed to get inside and sat through continuous activity all day Wednesday. Thursday, thankfully, was Thanksgiving. And they were able to spend it with uh, Jerry's brother. So they got away from the house. But the crowd were still there, even mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving Day. Like The police ended up having to be brought back in for crowd control. Again, because even though the case was closed... People still don't just, know how to act. Yeah. So around quarter past ten on Thanksgiving, the family were back in the house when Jerry smelled smoke. He checked all around the inside of the house and found nothing. So he asked the cop at the front door... Hey, can you check around and see what's going on? I'm smelling smoke in here. Someone had tried to burn the place down with the family inside. Oh, my God. To rid the evil that they had brought to the neighborhood. Wow. People are dumb. Yeah. They caught them. It was three dudes. All three were arrested. Two were charged with attempted arson. And their bail was set at like 30 grand each in the 70s. So... 
you know, hey, that's good. <laughs> yeah, but to get them bailed out, they only have to pay like 10% of that. Then the activity just stopped, like actually stopped this time. Nothing was reported and finally the, cl- the crowd started to thin out a bit. The cop presence was just eight to four, like <laughs> regular little cop shift. Yeah. And life finally seemed to be getting back to normal. They adopted the dog from the shelter and like, I think this was probably their plan for Christmas anyway, because remember, that's the time of year. But they were so relieved that they just wanted to celebrate having a normal life again. On December 10th, however, it started again, just like before, like started with a bang. Laura ran outside, frantically asking the policeman to come and help. The furniture was moving. The heavy sewing machine was getting moved around TV, radio, everything. The cop had never been at the house before, so this was all new to him. Yeah. He saw what was going on. He put everything back where it should be and then, like, went out to call for backup. In the time it took him to get from the house to the patrol car, Laura was running back out again, saying, it's happened again. And he ran back in to find out that everything that had been misplaced was exactly misplaced as it was before. Okay. So, like, it was just a dick move. It's like, oh, you put things back? I want them here. Yeah, yeah. So, like we were back saying. Back where I put them. Yeah, poltergeists are a little bit like a cat, just, like, knocking stuff off a table. <laughs> like, yeah. Activity continued while Marcia was getting her daily lessons from her tutor that day. And around 3 o'clock that afternoon, Laura and Marcia went to an aunt's house just to get away from it all. They all stayed here for the next few days, going back and forth to the house to collect things and check in. And on the 14th of December... They were all going to go and spend the day with Jerry's cousin in New York. Remember, that's what like they used to do. That was like their family activity. When they went to the house to pack some snacks and things, they found their Christmas tree almost completely bare. All of the ornaments were just placed in a neat little pile next to the tree. But the star had been sliced in half somehow. Huh. Now, I don't know what material it was yeah. or what, but it was creepy. The lights were all still on the tree, though, because even a demon isn't going through all that fucking effort. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Jerry was just like, let's just leave it as it is and go and enjoy our day. So they they headed on out, had a lovely day. And when they returned, unsure of whether or not they were actually going to spend the night there or back at the aunt's house again, they went to the house anyway just to check it out. And a few other bits were out of place. Pictures crooked on the wall and whatnot. But they found their Madonna statue placed on the floor with its thumbs cut off. The fuck? And I did Google it just to clarify. Mafia style. Yeah. But it's not like a like a virgin Madonna. It's a holy virgin Madonna statue. <laughs> like they weren't just big Madonna fans. I don't even oh, think Madonna okay. was around back in the day. That was just a dad joke. Uh, did not land. No. <laughs> <laughs> They also noticed that Silver, their new dog, hadn't come to greet them. They eventually found him hiding under the bed, terrified. And this would actually just become his spot now. So he was a big German shepherd. I think he was like older than a pup Mm -hmm. when they adopted him. But he was big and gentle, but they still had to keep him separate from Sam the cat because he was just kind of dopey and didn't know his own strength. (laughs) Like, yeah. But, and Sam just kept cursing him out. Yeah, Sam was calling him a dirty Frenchman. But uh, under the bed became his place then. Like he would just sleep under the bed at night and stuff. And still the activity persisted over the following days. But the family had been contacted by a Boyce Beatty. Who I think had been in touch with the first priest who had shown up in the house. And I know this because I saw a Pinterest post where Boyce Beatty and someone else met Father Doyle's sister at a convention of some sort. Um. Yeah. But I also think that he knew Father Charbonneau as well because it's Connecticut and everybody kind of knew each other. Boyce was a member of the American Society for Psychical Research. And he was also chairman of the Central Connecticut chapter of Spiritual Frontiers. And he wanted to approach the case from a scientific perspective. With the help of two others, who I will be referring to as Boise's Boys. Okay. They did an amazing job at collecting all of the police reports from the case, interviewing all the firemen who had been there, and even meeting up with the Warrens, who, although they were pissed off at being like publicly maligned, they did offer help and they handed over all the copies of interviews and everything that they had carried out. 
and like you know fill them in on as much as they had witnessed too yeah the police had made out like the warrens are just trying to milk the goodens and the case for as much money as possible along with the drug-laced candy rumors there was also rumors that they had promised the goodens a million dollars of a deal but the deal was now off because marcia had ruined it so now they were all salty with each other like oh my god yeah and apparently that started from the cops one thing was true though Ed had made some long distance phone calls while at the Gooden household and then had just left them with the bill. Oh, what? That's an asshole move. Yeah, that was a particularly sore spot for the Goodens. Like, honestly, they actually sued Well, him. yeah, they're like fucking like, look at their house. I know they did. They sued him for the price of the Good. long distance calls at a later stage. They, anyway. Yeah, I hope fucking Lorraine had to lose some of her chickens <laughs> yeah, to yeah. pay for it. One of Boise's boys, who was also called Jerry, arranged the meeting with Inspector Clark of the Bridgeport Police, who had officially declared the case closed previously. Clark was surprisingly honest and warm with him and told him that no, he didn't think it was a hoax, but for the safety of the family, he had wanted it closed. Right. As well as getting his, like, police back. Yeah. He wanted to stop the circus, basically, and was more than happy to help and would provide all the copies of reports and everything as long as they were able to keep everything quiet and press free. Okay. He even provided this Jerry with a room in the police station to interview all of the cops who had been to the house individually. And these were interviews that wouldn't be on record, like wouldn't be on police record, so they could talk freely in there. Back at the house, Jerry, the regular Jerry, I guess we're going to have a regular Peggy and a regular... Okay. But no, the Jerry, the dad, had said about, quote, saving Christmas. He gave the Christmas tree a concrete base to stop it from being tipped over <laughs> and started securing everything to the wall with wire and hooks, just like you suggested last week. <laughs> he literally secured everything, according to witnesses, except for a stereo, which was beyond saving anyway. And Boise's boys witnessed and documented a huge amount of activity throughout their investigation and ultimately came to the conclusion that whatever was happening, be it spiritual, demonic or telekinetic or psychokinetic, it was happening because of an unhappy household. Now, much like how we see everybody's Instagram, TikToks, Facebooks today as blissful and... Yeah, only showing the good side. Yeah, like look how successful we are and blah, blah, blah. Mm Mm-hmm. That was the image that Laura and Jerry pushed on the public as well. Okay. Like. That makes sense. We do tend to forget how like snobby people can be. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, my Jerry would never. You know what I mean? (laughs) Or whatever the case may be. She's the perfect child and she's so happy. Why would she need friends when she has her mom? Ah. Right. Yeah. Included in this book is a transcript from a conversation between Boise's boys, Father Charbonneau, the Warren's priest friend, and Jerry and Laura. It was the end of their investigation and they were reporting their findings and offering advice on how to proceed. It is one of the most infuriating conversations I've ever read. And one of the very few occasions when I'm on the priest's side. No, okay, I get annoyed at everything. But this time I'm like fully supporting a priest. Okay, that is saying something. Yeah. So... It was ultimately recommended that the family needed some sort of counseling, whether with another priest, they were saying like Father Doyle happened to be a trained counselor as well as a priest. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Which a lot of priests are. Oh. But like Father Doyle was just offered because he was local and they knew him already. Yeah. Um, Or like go to a psychologist, like go to anybody. But Father Charbonneau was saying, we're leaving now. Our case is finished here. We've done all we can do. You need somebody who understands the situation and to talk to it didn't matter that they had all been through a horrific ordeal in the last six weeks i think six or seven weeks not to mention the death of jerry jr marcia's bullying or the fact that she was ripped away from her family regardless of how neglectful or abusive they were like all three of these people had been through shit in their time Uh but as soon as Father Charbonneau mentioned any sort of counselling. He was met with remarks such as, Oh, wait a minute, I'm not a nut. I'm probably a lot saner than a hell of a lot of the people walking the streets today. 
and Laura saying, for what? We're not out of our mind. Ah. That's Laura in my head. The stigma. The Good stigma. Old stigma. This is the 70s. Father Charbonneau proceeded tactfully and finally Jerry understood that they weren't being called nut jobs or anything. Mm-hmm. And then the priest quite bravely addressed Laura's overprotectiveness of Marcia. Now, again, this transcript is like 10 or 12 pages long. That's kind of weird because didn't she disappear with the tutor and no one fucking noticed? Well, like I was saying, Laura had been whisked away to hospital to get her foot checked up in that particular instance. Okay. But as well, I mean, that day was one in a million. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. The the house was full of like 30 or 40 people. Okay. I'll allow it. The priest was talking specifically about school issues and stuff. So they had explained that although they didn't blame anyone for the activity, it definitely went along with the theory of just pent up emotions. But he was trying to get her to see reason. And again, in very plain English, he asked her, had she ever seen any of the other mothers carrying their kids books to and from school and meeting their kids at lunch to take them home so they couldn't play with the other kids, you know? Telling her that Marcia was her own person and needed to develop friendships, etc. And again, I was quite impressed with his attitude. It was very like... He was being very tactful. Well, that and he was talking truth as well. Like the kid needs other kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the whole time, Laura's answers are, no, no, that's not right. This isn't how... Listen to me. Uh Absolutely, positively not. That was one of her like, Things that she kept saying. Understandably, neither of the parents wanted Marcia to go back to that public school where she had been bullied so horribly. Right. But they also couldn't afford the private school fees anymore. Uh That was the reason why she was sent to the public school. Father Doyle had that taken care of, though. He had a meeting with the family and social workers later. And the Bridgeport School District gave Marcia a partial scholarship, which made the funds more affordable. They didn't completely comp them. But they made it so as that she was able to attend the school. Okay. The activity, which had been on and off at this point, completely ceased when Marcia started back in school. Whoa. Yeah. Only days after this. So on January 10th, 1975, a for sale sign was seen on the lawn of 966 Lindley Street. This whole ordeal had lasted barely six or seven weeks. And it literally coincided with Marcia starting like private tutoring and her incident with that little boy who had like kicked her and injured her. Yeah. Anyway, the whole thing was, we just need to get out of here. Like, let's sell the house. Let's go. Start fresh. Yeah. But obviously nobody bought the house. It was the haunted house on Lindley Street. Like it was worldwide haunting material, now, you know. So what happened to the house? So, well, they never managed to sell it and their time there was miserable for quite a while after. As far as we know, all of the activity did stop and never started again. But they had basically lost all of their possessions. TVs, radios, their furniture, all the little like knickknacks and decorations all over the house. Everything was destroyed. Right. Like even down to their plates and like cutlery. Yeah. Jerry's work life had become a constant source of dread. And, like, it touched on it briefly in the book. It said, like, he was even having stomach problems going to work. That's anxiety. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? That, like, the yeah. poor guy. And he was a, a harder, like, you know, I'm a working man. I don't need any of this. Yeah. But he was crippled with anxiety going to work every day because everybody who was, I'm sure, just having, like, playful banter, it was too much for him. Right. As far as I know, he did end up leaving, but I don't know whether he retired or got a new job or what. But... He became an outcast. He lost all of his friends bar like a couple. And the house was egged. Windows were broken. Car tires were slashed. Laura would leave laundry out on the the line. line. Uh And she'd come back and be ripped off and like thrown on the dirty ground. Yeah. And stuff like that. They were persecuted. So Marcia and Laura's relationship didn't improve over time either. What little information we have is from a couple of Christmas cards that Boyce Beatty received from the Goodens. Because I guess like they were just traditional. Like mm-hmm. They appreciated what Boyce and 
his crew had done for them. So the one in 1975, which was the first year after all of this, just read, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Beatty and family, Just a few lines to let you know that we are fine and staying here at 966 Lindley Street. Hope you all have a lovely holiday. Jerry, Laura and Marcia. That was in reference to them not being able to sell the house and deciding to just stay there. They gave it like a fresh coat of paint and tried to doll it up a bit that next year. Then every year after that, they still received cards simply saying like happy holidays or whatever, like no information, no detail until 1980. And this time the card read, dear Mr. And Mrs. Beatty, hope you have a nice holiday. Well, when our daughter reaches 18, she informed us she is going to find her own parents in Canada. We are very upset about it. She told us we're not good enough for her. Well, there isn't anything we could do but pray she changes her mind. Please pray for us. Good and family. Whoa. Toxic, toxic, toxic. Like, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm very biased. Like, I'm on Marcia's side this whole time. Laura seems like a very toxic person to be around. Obviously, we, I have no idea what was going on. Yeah, you can only speculate. Yeah, it's pure. It kind of just seems like she just picked up on Laura's toxicity and also became a toxic person because to say that to anyone, but even then, if it wasn't your parents. But then I'm like, is that even something that she would have said? Or was it just like... Like I said, we could only speculate. Yeah, you know. If that is the truth, you know. Yeah. If that is the truth. I mean, like, look. Or it, could have been, or it could have been Laura's interpretation of a discussion she and Marcia had. That's what I'm that's what I was inclined to think. Yeah. Whether it's right or not, we'll never know. But I do think it would be expected. Like Marcia knew her family. Like she was four and a half, remember, when she was adopted. Yeah. So it's only natural that she would try and do exactly what like go and find her. Her family and just find out what happened or anything like when she's 18. So what happened after that? And I thought, well, personally, if we were to adopt a kid, I would think that that is always going to be at the back of your mind. Like they're going to want to do this possibly one day. Yeah. So like they should have helped and supported her. Well, anyway. I mean, another speculation another of what spec- you what we think you yeah. should maybe do as a parent because... I don't think we'll ever be in those shoes. No, especially not an adoptive parent like as right. well. Like, anyway, Laura died on the 11th of June, 1993, in a car accident, of all things. She was 68. Okay. Jerry passed away on September 24th, 1997, of natural causes at the age of 78. And as of November 23rd, 2013, nobody knows what happened to Marcia. We can only hope... That she went on to live a very happy life wherever she ended up, be it Canada or wherever. Oh, so no one knows if she actually left or not? No, and the author of the book went through, like, hired a, a PI and everything to try and find her. And that's the dated letter on the book. They said, like, we've exhausted all resources and we have not been able to find anything. So, again, we don't know what her name was. Like, before she was adopted, was it Marcia? Even, like, you know what I mean? Even a first name? Yeah. So, yeah. That's the end of the story. Wow. That's a very sad story. Very miserable and sad. That's why, like, the small little glimpses of, like, her playing Monopoly with Paul Eno or, like, the cops having fun with her in the thing. Like, she had no friends. Yeah. That's very sad. Yeah. So, I'm miserable. Now you're all miserable. <laughs> that, that was a miserable story. But yeah, that is the story of 966 Lindley Street. As far as I'm concerned, it was very open and shut. And I feel like if anything else had happened, they would have let Boyce Beatty know, in, at least in one of their Christmas, Christmas cards. cards. Like they possibly would have said, oh, the banging started again, but it was all good. Or you know what I mean? Yeah, it's possible. But literally nothing. <sighs> all right. So yeah. Well, thank you for that story. You're all now welcome. I'm gonna go cheer myself up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and if anybody wants to know, because this was one of the books that I actually left whole chunks of it out because it was a lot of repetitive, like oh the TV was smashed and then they picked it up and then the TV smashed again and then yeah. they picked it up. So it's called it's the world's most haunted house: the true story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street by William J. Hall. 
And even like I shared the picture of the uh, the house plan, the floor plan of the house. That was actually a police report. Like they were, I, I think it was a police report. Shit, I might be wrong, but it was one of a whole bunch of reports where they would like mark on on the floor plan. This is where the TV was. This is where it was moved to. Yeah. This is where the lamp was. This is where it was moved. You know, very, very in-depth, tedious work. And specifically from Boyce Beatty as well, who helped this guy write his book. So, yeah. All right. Bravo, everybody. Um, Good job. Yeah, as always, thanks for listening, guys. Um, Don't forget to rate, review us. Send us your spooky stories. Send us emails. Get in contact with us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like I said at the start, if there's something specific that you want us to do, I will not do the Amityville Horror. (laughs) But anything else, let us know and we'll do it. All right. Cool. All right. Bye. Bye.